Hi everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald, and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Thanks for joining me this weekend. Today's topic is chronic signs and symptoms of health problems and what their underlying causes should be. So for example, if we talk about fatigue, there may be 20, 30, 40, 50 different causes of fatigue. We won't have time to go over that many, but I will be speaking about the causes of fatigue today. I will be speaking about what might be underlying causes of headache, body aches, high cholesterol, and a whole bunch of other very interesting signs and symptoms, such as tooth damage, for example, uh, angry outbursts, uh, movement disorders, and how you might think from a blood detective perspective so that you can help yourself and family and friends get better much faster. I'm sure that everyone out there has had an experience with a physician or a practitioner at one time or another where things just seem to be going too slow. You're not getting answers fast enough. One of the things that I pride myself on is getting to the bottom of things as quickly as possible and as thoroughly as possible and very important, as accurately as possible. You want to be treating the cause or causes of the health problem accurately. Because number one, if you don't treat it accurately or correctly, you're wasting your time. You may be wasting money on dietary changes that are not specific enough or supplements. Not to mention, whatever that underlying health problem or problems are, they can become worse real fast. And since medicine is largely or largely takes the perspective of dealing with a health problem until it gets at its worst level, they don't really know what to do sometimes with the more more subtle signs, subtle fatigue, subtle headaches. What might be the connection between headaches, fatigue, and high cholesterol, for example? So once you start getting into symptoms that cross each other differently, again, fatigue is different than headaches is different from cholesterol. But when you think from a blood detective perspective, you might realize that Your headache might be from a blood flow problem because you have high cholesterol, which causes your blood to become more viscous, more thick, and also impairs oxygen delivery to tissues, causing the headache, perpetuating the headache, and resulting in fatigue because of not just lack of blood, but how cholesterol affects the body's energetics. So what you just heard there was an example of how we'll be putting things together during the, uh, the show today when we talk about common signs and symptoms of what their causes might be. Let's start with what I call minor ailments that you might be tempted to ignore, but could actually be the early signs of disease. Before we do that, let me just introduce myself to all the new listeners. My name is Dr. Michael Wald, and I'm your host on Ask the Blood Detective. I'm the supervisor of nutritional services at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco, 
which is located an hour north of New York City. I see patients uh, in person, of course, and also by distance consultation. I can be reached at 914-552-1442 and email me your questions if you want to become a patient of mine to the following email, which is info at blooddetective.com. You know, even though routine doctor visits are are considered important uh, for maintaining your good health, there are some symptoms that may not always be picked up by your physicians. And these problems might not come up on a physical, but if you identify them early, you could really take care of some very big problems. One example is your handwriting. What could your handwriting possibly have to do with your health? Well, One such hidden symptom of Parkinson's disease is problem with handwriting. So Parkinson's disease is a neurologic disorder. It's caused by damage or loss of your brain cells, what are called neurons, that make a specific kind of neurotransmitter, and it's known as dopamine. And dopamine is really important because it controls the movements of the body. So One of the first signs of Parkinson's disease is what's called a typical tremor or shaking, most commonly associated with this disease. Not a lot of other diseases have that symptom. But symptoms can emerge anywhere in the body, particularly the hands. There's what's called a pill-rolling tremor, where the, the thumb and first finger kind of move as if they were rolling a pill in between those digits. So the fingers and the hands become so tense As you're writing out a sentence, for example, your letters may start out large and get smaller and smaller towards the end of the sentence as the fingers clench up. So very interesting. I have had people come in and they've completed my forms and I look at their handwriting and very often I can tell what disease or conditions they have just by the handwriting. For example, Persons with larger handwriting, which goes to smaller, shakier handwriting, that is an early signs of Parkinson's disease or some other neurologic condition. Low blood sugar doesn't cause that. Low thyroid does not cause that. Parkinson's disease causes that. Other times, I'll see people with large, blocky type, shaky handwriting that does not get smaller. And that's very common in my experience in those with hypertension or anxiety. And of course, hypertension involves a lot of body systems that we can work on naturally, and so does high blood pressure. So what's another symptom that might indicate some hidden condition? Well, random outbursts of anger could be another sign that might be a signal of depression. So depression is a very complicated condition, and it has a huge constellation of symptoms And most of them don't actually have to do with being sad or despondent like you might think of depression usually. Actually, the majority of people with depression suffer from anger, irritability, um, bouts of rage as the main symptom of depression. Depression that manifests like this is a sign of of a more serious, longer-lasting mental, emotional health problem. And if you, I mean, who would think that someone with anger has depression? But if you know it's depression, then you can treat it with the right nutrients. For example, the omega-3 fatty acids, EPA, DHA, help 
depression, help the brain work better, which would reduce angry outbursts. Sometimes I might have to add amino acids with that as amino acids form the neurotransmitters in the brain. And we want the happy neurotransmitters happening with depression that results in angry outbursts. Of course, the the natural therapies and treatments that I'm talking about here are just the tip of the iceberg, but the the key ones for each of the the signs and symptoms I'll I'll continue to talk about today. What about tooth damage? Well, another sign of real trouble could be damage to the teeth, especially the teeth located in the back of the mouth. That could be a signal of gastrointestinal issues, particularly from acid reflux. So most of you have heard of acid reflux, but for those of you that have not, acid reflux is when acid from the stomach makes its way up the esophagus and all the way into the mouth, changing the pH of the mouth. pH stands for the acid-base balance, allowing the pH in the mouth to drop slightly. It only has to drop slightly, which makes it more on the acid side, and it basically corrodes the teeth. It also eats away at the mucus lining, which contains the immunoglobin A immune system. That'll degenerate the mouth and the esophagus far more. And that lower pH will serve as a breeding ground for bacterial, um, viral, and even fungal overgrowth. And, and it'll extend sometimes into the nasal cavity because from the mouth obviously has a connection to the nasal cavity. So you can see by that example how uh, tooth damage occurs. And I did a show just a couple of shows back, as many of you know, about oral health. And to summarize that show real quickly, very important stuff, is that most damage in the mouth, whether it's the teeth or the soft tissues of the mouth, yes, can be from acid-based problems. And then the resulting overgrowth of fungal, viral, and bacterial organisms. So the crux of the last show was that I talked about um, a natural mouthwash, which I formulated to contain herbs, which kill most of those organisms without causing resistant bugs and also serve to build up the tissues of the mouth. Of course, oral health has much more to do with the overall health of the body than just treating the mouth. But that doesn't mean we do not treat the mouth. Uh, and its, its importance is, uh, could not, I could not emphasize how important it is to do that. I mentioned that we want to use an herbal rinse before we brush our teeth and floss our teeth and to repeat the use of that herbal rinse each time you brush and floss. So tooth damage can re- could represent too much acid in the mouth. But then we have to ask ourselves, well, wh- how did that happen? What's the cause of that hidden symptom and problem? Well, some of you are aware that stomach acid that comes up into the esophagus and then into the mouth can only happen if the valve between the stomach and the esophagus is open. If it's closed, a person cannot have stomach acid going into their esophagus, causing esophagitis, along with symptoms of heartburn, and tooth decay. So the cause, or the hidden cause, of stomach acid in the wrong place at the wrong time, which can cause things like tooth decay and esophagitis, is what? Right, we said it. It's an open gastroesophageal valve, but that valve is controlled by your autonomic nervous system. 
Think of it as the automatic nervous system because it does things automatically if things go right. Well, you don't have to think about it. So if your neurohormonal health system, your nervous system, which is controlled by neurohormonal signals, is working correctly, it will close and open that valve as needed. But a lot of people, particularly after age 50, have a valve that's open. So the nutrition has to deal with the gastrointestinal tract directly to deal with the the erosion that's being caused by stomach acid and the esophagus in the mouth, but it also has to focus on nutrition for the autonomic nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system is made mostly of fats. And by the way, folks, your autonomic nervous system controls all of your automatic functions in your body. The autonomic functions, all of the things that happen to you and happen in your body that you're not thinking about, like your heart rate and your blood pressure and telling your your various organs and glands to secrete certain hormones, Everything that you're not thinking about controlling is happening by that system. So because the autonomic nervous system is made mostly of fats, it responds well to EPA, DHA, just like anger and depression does, but also especially DHA liquid, which is the, well, it's a certain type of fat called docosinohexanoic acid. It has a lot of functions in all kinds of neurologic problems, ranging from MS to Parkinson's to dementia, but also for just general health of the autonomic nervous system. And then there is magnesium. Magnesium helps to tonify the autonomic nervous system that sometimes can improve the tone back to the gastroesophageal valve that is too open. Sadly, gastroenterologists do nothing for retraining the autonomic nervous system to get that valve closed. If you have tooth decay or oral health issues and esophagitis and your your gastroenterologist determines or your internist that it's from, you know, too much acid in the wrong place at the wrong time, you'll be given an antacid. You'll be given a PPI. Like omniprazole, for example, is a common one. So uh, what that will do is cause low stomach acid, which might actually help your symptoms, except the valve won't close and you now will not absorb normally because you have no stomach acid. So these are, these are big problems. Now listen to these symptoms. You know, when it comes to the heart, snoring, inflamed gums, and impotence in men, let me say that again, snoring, heart disease, and impotence are all associated with a greater risk of heart disease. So... Snoring can be a mechanical problem where there's just a very thick neck in an individual. In fact, the thicker one's neck, the larger the neck, the greater the risk of uh, heart disease and the higher one's overall morbidity and mortality because part of the airway is blocked off and that affects um, multiple systems in the body. So everyone here knows that sleep apnea is associated with a shorter lifespan, uh, even by as much as 10 years. And snoring is a common indicator of potential sleep apnea. So patients of mine will go to a sleep clinic sometimes and uh, sometimes they'll be told that they have sleep apnea and sometimes they won't and they still snore and they still have these problems. You have to realize that these uh, sleep tests, they're not 100% accurate. We have to use our common sense. If someone is snoring, 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 then I'm going to assume they have sleep apnea. I don't need a sleep study to confirm that. And if a sleep study did not confirm it, I would not believe the sleep study. A lot of these sleep studies, too, are done in sleep clinics. And I don't know about you, but if I put you in a cold clinic, 
uh, or in a comfortable clinic that's not your home and your bed or your apartment, you might have sleep issues that might show up on these tests. And then at the end of the day, what do physicians do for sleep apnea? Not a whole lot, but there's a whole bunch of ways that we can manage sleep apnea. Number one is to lose weight in a healthy way. The other way is to correct any oral health problems uh, like a TMJ joint. Uh, the jaw could be out of place causing airflow problems. There may be any number of nutritional problems associated and or causing a sleep apnea, a lot of them having to do with health of the nervous system. Once again, the use of EPA, DHA, a variety of minerals, might be deficient uh, promoting the sleep apnea. There's lots of causes. Even hypothyroid is associated with sleep apnea. Neurologic diseases are associated with sleep apnea. Heart disease almost always is associated with sleep apnea because I open this up by saying that snoring could be from sleep apnea and that raises cardiovascular disease. Inflamed gums could uh, are, are commonly associated with low levels of Coenzyme Q10, which is associated with heart disease. Inflamed gums also associated with various bacteria in the mouth, which can seed the blood, causing cardiovascular problems and neurologic problems, all kinds of problems. And impotence due to hormonal issues, uh, such as low testosterone, can be associated with uh, increased heart disease. So you can see that cardiovascular disease, like heart disease, has a common connection to snoring or sleep apnea, to inflamed gums, and to impotence. But you'd have to see two or three or four different doctors to deal with those problems, and they may not put all of this together. So let's talk about forgetfulness here for a second. You know, while everyone is susceptible to an occasional, you know, what they call senior moment, you know, having trouble managing your finances, for example, is often a red flag that could be an indicator of early Alzheimer's disease, just having problems with that. And finally, while forgetting people's names could be a sign of dementia, it could also indicate hypothyroidism or low levels of thyroid hormones. When the thyroid hormones are low, any number of health problems can arise. First of all, what could be the cause of hypothyroidism? Number one, it could be caused by a genetic propensity, a genetic need for uh, more and different nutrients than you might be consuming throughout your life. Hypothyroidism could be from autoimmune origin, where there's a glitch in your immune system or you were uh, made susceptible in your lifetime to developing an autoimmune disease, like... Uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. You could be deficient in B vitamins, zinc, uh, omega-3 fatty acids. Heavy metals is a very common cause of hypothyroidism. So when people say to me, Dr. Wald, how do you, how will you deal with my hypothyroidism? As you can imagine from this conversation that it depends on the cause or causes. So I'd have to look into those. So if you're walking around with symptoms like brain fogs, uh, brain fog forgetfulness, or you're just feeling like you're dull, you may have hypothyroidism. Now, the problem with the diagnosis of hypothyroidism is that, number one, uh, nutritionists do not have any training in reading laboratory work. 
So you want to see someone who knows how to do that, uh, particularly if your pro- problem is uh, ongoing. And if you really do not know the, the cause or causes of a lot of your symptoms, you want to have the right lab work. Now, you shouldn't expect that you might be able to purchase some uh, natural s- supplement that says, you know, hypothyroid cure on it because your hypothyroidism may have nothing to do with a low iodine level and the product you purchase might have iodine in it. And if you take too much iodine, you can actually cause hypo or low thyroid disease. If you do not have a heavy metal issue, then chelating yourself or detoxing yourself will not help your hypothyroidism. So it's very important, and this is a little bit of a digression here, but if you have a health problem that's ongoing, particularly if you've tried some nutrition to manage it and it's not going away, you want to see a practitioner who can look at all these labs from a holistic perspective and uses the right types of questionnaires and uses holistic mindedness to put these connections together. And back to thyroidism, you know, hypothyroidism is one of the most common and commonly overlooked causes of sudden memory loss. The condition of sudden memory loss can be picked up early and easily and can be treated. Now, as mentioning before, in terms of testing hypothyroidism is this. You have to lose, folks, about 40% of your thyroid function before regular blood tests pick up anything. So I always compare my patient's thyroid levels to a 25% loss, meaning that if I see at least a 25% loss, my testing will show it's a problem. You can't always just assume that your memory loss, for example, or your constipation or your hair loss or you know, your fatigue, your slow healing or hypothyroid symptoms because the body has only so many ways to produce symptoms. In other words, like fatigue is a mo- probably the most common symptom of all diseases. There's only so many ways in which your body can express disease. So it's not enough just to make an assumption that your fatigue is from your low thyroid. So you want to look at a variety of systems. I'm going to ask you to write a few things down right now. I'm going to give you a list of some tests that would be a good starting point for assessing your overall health and well-being. And this, of course, is out of context with knowing you. I'm going to say it again because some of you are going to think that this test is, is, includes everything you will ever need. But without knowing you, I can't give you that list. But I can tell you the basics. You want a CBC, a complete blood count. You want a comprehensive metabolic panel. A comprehensive metabolic panel. You always want a D3. You want a full thyroid panel. You want something called ferritin, which will tell me about inflammation and it'll tell me about your storage of iron. Much better test than serum iron. I like to do a metals panel of blood and also the urine. I want a full lipid panel, cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol, the bad stuff, but also the small and large particles of LDL and the small and large particles of HDL. H is the happy cholesterol, remember? I also would like a homocysteine and something called a methyl malonic acid. Homocysteine lets me know if you are using your folic acid well 
then the, then its next accuracy is for the use of B12 and B6. And methylmalonic acid is the most accurate for B12. So putting this all together and reading it from a healthy perspective as well as an average perspective, in other words, comparing your results to the ranges that are more consistent with healthy individuals will give a lot more information and earlier clues than if you're compared to average people your age. So for those of you out there that have been told you have normal lab tests or pretty much normal, that means that compared to someone your age, they look okay. But if we compared you to someone 20 years younger, they would not be okay in most cases and would reveal things that probably are more consistent with explaining why you don't feel well. Okay, why don't we, oh, and I should say, for those of you who want to know more about those, those tests in that panel, and I like to do other ones. I've mentioned them before, a body composition, which tells me a person's metabolic rate, which will let me know the calories they need, and will also let me know the percentage of muscle, water, and fat. Those are very important measures to have. I think an excellent test is called a peripheral blood smear, where you can actually see bacteria and fungal organisms and the size of red blood cells and the, and the shapes of them and the speed of white blood cells and others, these sorts of findings are functional assessments of your health. How are things functioning? How do they look structurally? Which is a whole different thing than just simply counting numbers on a blood test. So lots of people that I see are very surprised that their blood work appears normal. The first thing I'll say is, is this to a patient, because it's true. If your blood work is normal and you are feeling bad, you need a new normal. You simply need a new normal. And how people waste so many years because they just don't get that the blood's normal, the blood's normal, that means nothing. Practitioners, and I teach laboratory uh, to practitioners and have been for decades, and I wrote a 500-page lab text book called The Anti-Aging Encyclopedia of Testing, and I can tell you that doctors often forget to consider the results of tests in context with the person that's sitting right in front of them. The person's not feeling well, and they're expressing certain symptoms, and they're not feeling well. This means that they need different normals. And what's very interesting too, and I spent decades putting this work together, is that the laboratory tests that your doctors draw on you have many, and in some cases, dozens of nutritional implications. So for example, I'll give you a simple one. If your cholesterol is elevated, you probably need more vitamin E. We know that vitamin E turns oxidized evil cholesterol, okay, into non-oxidized cholesterol. So even if your total cholesterol number doesn't change, it's, let's say it's high at 300, if it's 300 and you have a normal vitamin E or it's 300 and you don't, you're gonna have much more cardiovascular risk if you're at 300 without enough vitamin E. But high cholesterol can also mean you have a niacin or B3, vitamin B3 deficiency. It might also mean that you need polycosinols and more fiber and that your diet is too high in sugar or that you're not eating often enough and that you don't have enough exercise that's, that's anaerobic. So that's just one example of one test, just a handful of some of the nutrition to be associated with one test. So as a blood detective, what I do and what you can do 
based on what I just said, is learn a couple of nutritional connections between some lab tests. But then I have a computer program that I call Blood Detective that helps me interpret, you know, many, many dozens of tests all at once. And then I overread that so that we can really have a thorough look at nutritional needs. So you can have any of the symptoms and problems we just mentioned today, high cholesterol, snoring issues, maybe there's thyroid or fatigue problems, for example. And your chemistry might say that you need nutrients A, B, C, and D and should eat E, F and all that. But someone else with the exact same symptoms might need completely different nutrition. So if you've tried the cliche nutrients and has, have eaten well in ways that you think and you've read and you've been taught and even by a healthcare provider should have managed your health problems, either your lab tests, your lab abnormalities or your symptoms or your signs, then, then you're doing it wrong. You're probably doing it wrong. So let's talk about another common symptom. Let's talk about some respiratory symptoms like runny or stuffy nose. Let's just take that for a second. Simple thing, right? So many people walk around with chronic runny or stuffy noses, maybe a sore throat, a mild cough all the time, you know, nasal congestion. And because of that, they might have a, a headache and they basically just feel kind of unwell, what we call malaise. So runny or stuffy nose, something that seems so benign like that, could be because, for example, you do have a, an improper acid-base balance in your nasal passages and your mouth. So your body's pretty smart. It produces mucus, which will cause a stuffy nose to try to neutralize the acids. But of course, that creates symptoms. It can create symptoms that include having a stuffy nose or at other times having a runny nose when your body tries to get it out. Or it could also mean that you have digestive problems. Yeah, a stuffy or runny nose can mean you have digestive problems. And the only symptoms you might have of those digestive problems or a runny and stuffy nose, maybe a sore throat, some nasal congestion, you might even have some body aches here and there, but just chronic nasal stuff. The digestive tract, the small intestine part of your digestive tract, contains roughly 70% of your entire immune system. When there's a problem with that immune system, there might be breakdown and it be due to inflammation of the digestive tract, and it's microscopic. It's not something your gastroenterologist is going to see when he or she sticks a tube um, up the rectum to look during a colonoscopy. But actually, I misspoke. To look in the small intestine, that's done with an endoscopy where the tube is put down the mouth. It pokes through the gastroesophageal valve in the stomach. And then if your gastroenterologist believes that you might have an issue with the small intestine, they go a little further. And by the way, if you're scheduled to get an endoscopy, don't assume that your doctor's going to look at your small intestine. Uh, they don't always do that. It's not routine, even though they just need to poke a couple of inches further. So gastrointestinal problems could cause runny nose, stuffy nose, sore throat, congestion, cough. Okay? Now let's talk about a big one, a, uh, a symptom that is super common, and that is fatigue. Now, I've already talked about how a runny or stuffy nose 
can be caused by gastrointestinal problems. But further, those stuffy nose problems could be a cause of your fatigue because your gastrointestinal tract being under stress for whatever reasons, maybe you're malabsorbing nutrients that can cause fatigue. Or your body is using a lot of energy to try to heal the gastrointestinal tract, heal the nasal cavity, you can get fatigue. Not to mention if you have a stuffy nose that uh, you may not be taking in quite enough oxygen throughout the course of the day, that can cause fatigue. Obviously to review, hypothyroidism very commonly can cause fatigue. But other causes of fatigue include the anemias. So I did a show called Empty Blood Diseases and they were a review of a multitude of different types of anemia. So anemia, folks, is a term for deficiency, not enough, anemic. And most of us know about iron anemia, but iron anemia is just one anemia. And since we're on the topic of iron anemia, please listen to this very carefully because it could save your life. Iron anemia in a man could be caused by external hemorrhoids causing loss of blood and therefore iron or internal hemorrhoids. So the external hemorrhoids, by the way, you would obviously see blood uh, and that would look brightly colored. But the internal hemorrhoids can occur higher up in the colon and they might look darker. The stool might appear darker. Uh, the stool might also sink much more uh, than it would normally. But also, iron anemia in a man could be from blood loss from other places, like colon cancer, and um, not to mention uh, inadequate dietary intake of iron. But in clinical practice, when a man has anemia, it is always taken super seriously. Of course, it is in a woman as well. But the more common causes of anemia or iron anemia in a woman is menstruation, if you're of that age, and improper dietary recycling of iron. But also cancer can cause iron anemia. Eating disorders will cause iron anemia. And so will malabsorptive disorders. Gluten intolerance and celiac disease uh, will cause anemia. Autoimmune diseases commonly cause anemia. And just um, not eating enough will cause iron anemia or anemias of other types. So iron anemia is figured out by looking at a blood test. And some of you are thinking, yeah, we measure the, the iron. Uh, no, that's not really true. Uh, the iron may be low, but iron anemia is determined by the level of the hemoglobin and the hematocrit. If hemoglobin and or the hematocrit are low, then the, the diagnosis of anemia is provided. So a person like you goes to your doctor and you say, I'm tired, I'm, I don't think straight, uh, I'm cold all the time. These are all anemic signs. And the doctor says, yep, I, I see it. You're iron anemic and uh, you, know, you need to just um, eat more iron. And if your iron anemia is caused by hormonal problems causing iron loss or it's caused by internal hemorrhoids, or it's caused by some inflammatory autoimmune disease which is causing destruction of red blood cells, making you anemic, you've missed the whole boat. So anemias are to be taken very seriously. So 
the most common anemia that I see on a blood test that's just missed by most doctors, you know, people come to see me, they'll have older lab tests and I'll take a look at them first just to make sure we're all on the same page. And I'll see that they have an anemia called a macrocytic anemia. Macrocytic anemias mean that the red blood cells are very large. By the way, in iron anemia, the red blood cells are very small. And when someone has an iron anemia, folks, that iron anemia can hide the macrocytic anemia. That it just does that. So you sometimes have to fix the iron anemia for the macrocytic anemia to even show up. And the causes or some of the causes of macrocytic anemia can be high cholesterol, hypothyroidism, cancers, sometimes chemotherapy will cause it, and insufficiencies or deficiencies of folic acid, B12, B and B6. So very important to correct these anemias. All the anemias seem to cause fatigue, but they can be associated with virtually any health problem because, for example, if you have a vitamin C anemia, you might not have fatigue. You just might be bruising uh, all the time. Or you might not have uh, the healing that you should in the area of soft tissue healing, like joints, ligaments, tendons, muscles, nerves. You could have an anemia called a glutathione anemia, which would increase your risk of infections and suffering from Lyme disease way too long. And yet, no, just taking glutathione is not going to fix that. And also, no, just taking glutathione that you think is hyperabsorbed will not necessarily fix that. So remember, these anemias, just like your symptoms, they don't occur in a vacuum. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. We're talking about common signs and symptoms that could indicate hidden health problems. And listen, you, you have to admit, everyone, we're talking about a level of detail here that you might not be able to repeat this all when you, when you uh, are done listening to the show today, but you're going to have a deeper understanding of how the body works. You're going to start to question your health and the health of others uh, quite differently you know, a few of the other shows I've done have to do with the brain. And I talked about something called neuroplasticity. That's just a fancy term for how to reform the brain when there's injury or to help it just stay healthy. And every time you hear new information, you learn something new and we reinforce some things, I do repeat some concepts throughout the shows, the, the, the different shows that I do, not to mention during the same show. I do that so that we maximize your neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity means when you learn something new, even if you hear it for the first time, you don't quite know it yet, but we're making structural changes in your nervous system. And that sort of exercise of your nervous system and your brain helps offset its thought, dementia, helps offset all sorts of neurologic problems. And you know, when you age, your nervous system ages, right? You all, you, the whole body ages. So you want to exercise it. So the level of thinking that we have on this show, Ask the Blood Detective, is the kind of thinking that should keep your brain and nervous system younger for longer. Some people say to me, let's see, Dr. Wald, you know, your show, I love your show. Your concepts are great, and I'm really challenged by it. 
And I'm glad because if we didn't challenge each other, I have to think to put these shows together too. If we didn't challenge each other, then our brains would atrophy. They would shrink. So yes, I'm always going to push you here. We'll talk about, you know, something on a superficial surface like fatigue, you know, that's uh, very generalized. But then we'll say, well, wait a second, you know, what causes fatigue? Fatigue could be from hypothyroidism. It could be from nervous system atrophy. It could be from low blood sugar. It could be from a glycosylation, a breakdown of the proteins uh, in the brain from too much blood sugar. It can be, fatigue can be caused from toxicity. It can be caused from hormonal problems. Stress, lack of sleep, dehydration, improper nutrition, malabsorption. Now notice that you probably understood everything or most of what I just said. That is remarkable because I just taught a seminar to healthcare providers and I talked to them like I talked to you guys and gals. And this way, I mean, you know a ton is the point I'm trying to make. You may not think you do, but you know a ton. And I'm very impressed with all of you. I'm very impressed with the fact that you've been giving me these show topics, which are, are not your everyday average show topics. So thank you for that. So let's continue with fatigue. But one last thing before I do, I want to give those people listening my phone number in case you want to get in touch with me. My number is 914 914- Five five two one four four two, and email me at info at blooddetective.com. So we talked about how there's all these different kinds of anemias. You can listen back on my show called uh, Empty Blood Diseases to learn about a ton of the anemias. You will never hear a more thorough show about the anemias and the right nutrition to manage them than that show. You can listen to those shows also on my website at I-N-T-M-E-D-N-Y.com. That's I-N-T-M-E-D-N-Y.com. So what about arthritis and fibromyalgia-like symptoms? Where where do they they come from? You know, musculoskeletal symptoms, achy joints, muscle pains, things like that. Well, the musculoskeletal system reflects all manner of health problems. You can have achy muscles and joints from anemias. If you don't have proper blood flow and proper nutrition, and if you do not make, I mean, this is the key point, everyone. If you do not make enough healthy red blood cells, you will not oxygenate tissues as well. If you do not oxygenate tissues like the musculoskeletal system that requires huge amounts of oxygenation, they'll accumulate carbon dioxide, lactic acid. You'll have aches and pains. And then the question is, yeah, but... Why do I not make enough red blood cells? And, and that's causing my aches and pains. And then we would need to look into that, okay? We don't simply take something that says, okay, muscle soreness be gone product. Because again, as you can see now, it's a ridiculous thing. We need to manage our needs uniquely. That's how you manage problems and clear problems up for the long haul. So other causes of muscle aches and pains could be any number of autoimmune diseases, lupus, scleroderma, uh, multiple sclerosis, Sjogren's, uh, Sjogren's syndrome, uh, polymyositis, um, any autoimmune disorders of the thyroid, multiple endocrine or hormone disorders in the body, even malabsorption. 
can cause muscle aches and pains because you're malabsorbing amino acids and other uh, what are called di, tri, and oligopeptides, and you don't have enough of the healing uh, bricks, so to speak, to heal tissues. So you're running on old tissues, so you're going to get aches and pains. The list goes on and on and on. So forgive me if I'm not mentioning a few things that some of you are saying, but how about this? How about that? Certainly Lyme disease, infections of all types will cause every symptom that we've mentioned today. Okay? So let's move on to another symptom, headaches. Whether they're severe headaches or they're dull headaches that reoccur from time to time, even if they occur once a month. I asked a patient recently, how often are you experiencing your headaches? They said, not that often, maybe once a month. Someone else said, you know, once every couple of months, but they're repeating. So that means there's something wrong. First of all, the head is one of the most common sites of pain in the body. So headache or head pain sometimes can be, first of all, very difficult to describe. But some common symptoms of headache include throbbing, which could be from blood uh, pressure issues. It can be from muscle tightness, squeezing of the head, uh, unrelenting or, inter- or just intermittent squeezing or, or headache. And, and the location of a headache on the body may be, it could be on the face, it could be on the skull, it can seem like it's inside your head, like behind your eyes, which is very common in migraines, obviously, and even cluster headaches. It might feel like the entire head. So first I want to say that a headache can be from high blood pressure, and that's very devastating. And uh, people who have you know, uh, frequent nosebleeds may very well have hypertension, and the blood vessels can't take the pressure, and they literally pop. But when pressure builds up in the head, then you have your headaches. A brain tumor can be a cause of a headache. Blood sugar problems, either hyperglycemia, too much, or hypoglycemia, too little. Thyroid problems can cause headaches. All kinds of toxicity can cause headaches. Autoimmune disease, chronic inflammation, infections like Lyme disease and many others can cause headaches. So headache can arise spontaneously or they can be associated with activity like exercise. I'm thinking of a particular patient who would get a headache during exercise and then that headache developed into vertigo or dizziness. Then he lost most of the hearing in his right ear and he's got an unremitting roaring in his right ear. And that was because the exercise triggered atypical migraines. Doctors commonly miss atypical migraines. And the reason is, what do you think? Because they're looking for typical migraines. So they're not thinking out of the box. And you certainly want to think of migraines when the headache is associated with uh, nausea or vomiting. And the thing about migraines is that migraines are an autoimmune disease. And they can be triggered by any number of stressors. Again, the stress of dehydration, the stress of exercise, the stress of not enough sleep, psychological stress, other physical and or emotional stressors. And all sorts of nutrition might help migraines from um, the active form of vitamin B2 called uh, riboflavin 5-phosphate. And of course, magnesium, although that doesn't help as much as you might think in most people. Uh, Removing food allergens. Uh, and curing whatever the cause of the underlying uh, migraine might be. 
So the point of this show uh, and this illustration and all the illustrations today is to have you take a step back and say, I've got this symptom. What are the cause or causes? Not simply say, I have a symptom and I will take this supplement because it's called the same thing as the, as the health problem that I'm experiencing. You need what you need for your needs. That's what I like to say. I'll digress for a moment. Leaky gut syndrome. People say to me, Dr. Wald, I know what I have. I'm like, well, great. What, what is it? And they'll say leaky gut syndrome, which is a leakiness of the small intestine, which causes and is associated with malabsorption and also the leaking of various toxins from the small intestine into the blood, along with uh, little bacteria, even fungi. And then I will say, well, what do you think caused that? And then they look at me as if uh, they are a deer in the headlights. <laughs> you know, we need to keep questioning what's the cause of that? What's the cause of that? And what's the cause of that? So the cause of leaky gut syndrome might be an overgrowth of intestinal fungus. And then the question is, right. <laughs> the question is, well, what's the cause of overgrowth of intestinal fungus? Well, the cause may be exposure to fungus in the diet, which would have caused it to take up residency in the small intestine. Yeah, but okay, so there is exposure to the fungus. But what was the cause of the body's susceptibility for fungus to overgrow in the small intestine to give us a leaky gut? Well, that could be from low stomach acid or no stomach acid. Because generally, if you have normal stomach acid and you eat fungus, which you do when you eat fruit, fruit is contaminated with, with uh, fungi, then you won't be able to break that fungus down. So it can then make its way further down into your digestive tract and can seed the body. It can leak out of the small intestine and go into other areas of the body. That's called translocation. And then you should be asking yourself, so what caused the low stomach acid? That might be aging. That might be years of drinking alcohol causing a thinning of the stomach lining. My point here, though, is eventually you may get to a point where you there's, there's a few answers as you go through this, what caused this, what caused this, and that's what I try to do so I can get to the fundamental basic things that people need to get better. Because if you... Stop too superficially. Oh, let's treat leaky gut and we'll throw a probiotic at it. That almost never will cure it. I said almost never, but almost never. So we were talking about headaches. What's that have to do with leaky gut? You got it. Headaches can be caused by leaky gut. That means that headaches could also be caused by low stomach acid, which can cause leaky gut. And headaches can be caused by fungal overgrowth, which can be caused by leaky gut, which can be caused by low stomach acid. And low stomach acid could be caused by aging or drinking or all kinds of other problems. We want to always question. And when I teach courses to healthcare providers, I try to help them think in these terms. What, what I do like to call the blood detective Thinking because the blood detective thinking has to do with blood work, but it also just has to do with thinking. 
if you're reading blood work and you're thinking about causes and effects and causes and effects, you're going to be really good at reading blood work. And if you are that type of thinker to begin with, then you're going to think of yourself and the world through that holistic-minded lens. And when you look at the world that way, things show up differently. And in the arena of your health, it can make a dramatic change in a very short period of time. You know, what I find everyone sometimes is that some individuals that have health problems and also their practitioners think a certain way and they don't find answers. So what do they do? They keep thinking that way and they say, well, I can't find anything. Uh, maybe you are depressed and you should be on an antidepressant. Have you, you've heard that before, right? If your thinking is not revealing answers, we need to change the thinking. Holistic thinking is one way of thinking. Traditional medical thinking is another way of thinking. So why not combine as many ways of thinking as possible? So when people call me and they say, Dr. Walds, and they've said this to me, and I really give them a lot of credit. They say, why should I see you? <laughs> and I say, because I'm a nice guy. No, I don't say that. I say, because I am holistically minded. I have taken that way of thinking and I've educated myself to reinforce that. See, a holistic-minded person, and I'll use myself as an example, first became a chiropractor. A holistically-minded person doesn't stop there. So I went to medical school. A holistically-minded person like myself didn't stop there. I became a dietitian, a certified nutrition specialist, a certified clinical nutritionist, a sports nutritionist, a physical trainer, got my PhD, got my master's in nutrition. A holistically-minded person does what a holistically-minded person does. So people say to me, how do you do all that? I, that's just how my brain works. If your brain worked my, the way that mine did, you would be different. If my brain worked more like yours did, I would be different. What I'm trying to emphasize here is that if you have not found answers yet to your health problems, consider a change in thinking. You know, when I want to approach something differently and I, and I do not know where to start, I say to myself, well, if I was that guy who knew where to start, where would I start? It's a trick because the nervous system, when you ask it, a question like, you know, if I knew where to start, where would I start? The nervous system starts looking for that answer. If you say something like, well, I'm sick and I've always been sick, isn't it pretty obvious that the chances of you getting well, thinking that way and having new opportunities show up for you in terms of your healing are very unlikely. So we always want to recognize when your doctors or practitioners say they couldn't find something, that just means that their limited way of thinking didn't find something. And if my way of thinking does not find answers, then my way of thinking, which is holistically minded, searches for other individuals or other groups or whatever else I need to do to find answers. It doesn't mean that you have to figure it out all yourself or that I'm going to figure it out all myself. But a holistically minded brain doesn't stop. It's just loaded with possibilities. Let's end by talking about cholesterol. The cause of high cholesterol could be too much saturated fat in your diet. It could be that you're genetically predisposed to high cholesterol or hypercholesterolemia, but if you exercise hard enough and in the right ways, your cholesterol may come down. 
As I said earlier, you can have a low cholesterol because you have high blood sugar or you have hypothyroidism. But the other thing too is that chronic inflammation from any cause, nutritional deficiencies, autoimmune problems, cancer, can result in high cholesterol because cholesterol is an anti-inflammatory. Yeah, it's an anti-inflammatory. But too much of a good thing, cholesterol can clog your arteries. High cholesterol can be caused by liver dysfunction. Now, that liver dysfunction may not show up on a blood test. The liver enzymes may look fine. See, the liver enzymes measure dead enzymes. They do not measure liver function. They're called liver function tests, but they don't measure liver function. As I said, they, me they measure the liver enzymes. So a functional problem in how your body metabolizes or fails to adequately metabolize, break up, cholesterol can result in high cholesterol. And interestingly, I've mentioned this on prior shows, low cholesterol, lower than 160, is associated sometimes with cancer because cancer is uh, an over-oxidized condition. Cholesterol is an antioxidant. Think of cholesterol as a sponge that soaks up oxidants. If you don't have enough of the sponge around to soak up oxidants, then you can have cancerous or, or uh, inflammatory problems or serious illness. We don't want cholesterol that's too high and we do not want cholesterol that is too low. So what we've been doing today is we've talked about some common, uh, very common uh, signs and symptoms and health problems, and we've taken the time to really delve into what's behind these health problems. So that's what you do as your own personal blood detective, your own uh, staunch health advocate. And if you feel that your practitioners are not getting anywhere with you, you start thinking about your tests. Keep everything, folks. Keep copies of your tests. I like to see them when people come to see me. Even though some individuals I see feel that they didn't get help before, the test didn't show anything. I am finding all kinds of stuff they didn't know about. So thank you so much for joining me today. You've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. Reach me with the next show topics at 914-552-1442. I'm happy to visit with you in person or through distance consultation. If you want to work with me on your health, call me at that number again, 914-552-1442. Email me directly at info at blooddetective.com. And you can listen to some of my other shows. And there's tons of content on my website at intmedny.com. Go to the blog section and you'll see the other radio shows. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Show me.